Good afternoon, this is Gary Kavner here on TRSI. I'm here today with my friend and colleague Michael Dwyer on a slightly different day than usual. And Michael, I can only say it's certainly not because someone drugged themselves to the gills and couldn't do anything on the day they were meant to. How have you been? I've, I've been I've been very, very well. I've been hardly drugged at all, in fact. I, I would like to have been, I would like indeed to be considerably more drugged than I am. But once upon a time, you knew in a small town like Gory where to go and smoke Gore heroin. Nowadays, Gary, with all the new people in and the new estates, I just don't know where to go. I mean, that's for my cough. It's not recreational, just so people understand. It's not for a recreational use. It's for my cough. And since you can't buy codeine linktus anymore because we all might get high in public toilets on it, obviously most of us now just go and score a little bit of heroin. But it's getting harder to score. It's tough, isn't it, Gary? Life is tough. I think you may be the only man I've ever heard complain that due to increased immigration, it's harder to get heroin. I'm not saying it's. I'm not saying it's immigration because I, most people living in Gory are, are what people would call Irish. Um, it's that I I'm just not up to date with the the new geography of the town. It used to be the ball alley was the place you go to score heroin, but ball alley's been knocked down and turned into car parking. Put it on paradise and put up a parking lot. Okay, well I hope the listener has enjoyed that reminiscence of where to acquire heroin in Gory, and I assume in a coming episode we will update you as to where you can get it today. If you'd like, some, maybe the, maybe there is a, a listener out there who can tell me, you know. Or where to score any kind of illicit drugs in Gore. Not that I would ever do them if I didn't have a cough. Again, I want to be clear about this. I would never take anything just for fun. Okay, well, moving on from Michael trying to score drugs. We've had an interesting development uh, related to the uh, the recent protests outside of direct provision centres, but also related to the legislation to ban protests outside uh, any facility in the country that offers abortions. I would say abortion providers, but in Ireland they aren't really standalone places like they are in other countries, so they're mostly inside existing medical facilities. So more hospitals in general, I suppose. During the week, Fianna Fáil sent out a press release uh, saying that a bill that was being brought forward by the Eternal Senator Malcolm Byrne, which aimed to stop protests outside people's houses, could also be used to stop protests outside direct provision centres, because direct provision centres are where people, by Fianna Fáil's reckoning, are living for a period, and therefore they should be covered. That was followed nearly immediately by a piece in the Irish Times, where they talked to Father Peter McVeary, priest who's very involved in campaigning around the homeless, who came out and said that there should be um, exclusion zones around direct provision centres and places of that nature explicitly modelled on those that are to be brought in um, for to deal with pro-life protests. Which, Michael, remember, if you remember when they originally said they were going to bring in that legislation, you and I made the point that once you accept this principle that the government can, at will, say that within certain areas, certain political speech is disallowed, once you accept that principle, it will inevitably be drawn out and applied to other areas. I thought at least we'd have to see the, the legislation be brought in before that started happening. But it's good to see that Peter McVeary is a first mover on this and is willing to go before the legislation actually activates. 
by the way, the eternal senator. Just remember, Gary, he was a, he was a TD. He was elected for that brief period uh, when there was the, the by-election in North Wexford. So he, he was actually a TD for a little while. Senator again. Um, and who knows what will happen if and when the boundaries are redrawn. Now that the numbers of the constituency are above the, the constitutionally allowed number. The thing is, Gary, here's, here's a question. And I'm asking, in curiosity and in good faith, this is not because one of the things that has been true would you agree with me, Gary, about an awful lot of this kind of legislation, whether it's protesting about outside exclusion zones or whether it's hate crime speech or aggravation, aggravations on crimes to make them hate crimes, that kind of thing is that there is a degree, an odd degree of subjectivity about the nature of the act. In other words, that you can project weirdly. You don't have to even be the victim of the, the protest, if you like, or the, the hate but you have to perceive that this thing is about this, and that creates the crime. There's a weird subjectivity about what makes these things real. Isn't it the case that, for example, with these the, the potential protests around the DPs, or the residential thing is different because that's just simply if you're protesting outside a residence, it will be illegal. That if you're protesting outside say about immigration or about abortion services or abortion provision, that you could have exactly the same protest with exactly the same people behaving in exactly the same way. But if they were protesting about something else, it wouldn't be illegal. Well, if we take the example of the exclusion zones, well then, yes, the government could say only this type of protest is illegal in this place and other types of protest, perfectly fine. It's not about the action or the activity, but rather this. it is, in fact, specifically about the content of the protest. It is the politics of the protest that are being made illegal, rather than the protest itself. Because if they were going to go the other way, well, then they would basically have to make any kind of political protest in certain areas just illegal. And that would... You know, I'm Like all of us talking about this, uh, we are wondering about the constitutionality of any of these proposals as they stand. And I suppose that's why they may be trying to cotton wool them with... Kind of, with, with with certain kinds of exceptions or provisions or whatever, and saying, oh, it's only in this kind of case and it's about intimidation and it's whatever, I don't know. But otherwise, it would just have to be saying, no, we're going to stop you protesting in these areas, full stop, which surely would make it an, a very, very, very difficult sell to the Supreme Court. So you kind of see that in the thing on the legislation on the exclusion zones. If you go and you look at the um, the government releases on it, what they generally say is something like it'll be illegal to attempt to deter or dissuade a person from accessing termination or pregnancy services within this area. And then they'll say something like it'll also be illegal to um, to attempt to persuade someone to avail of termination or pregnancy services. And that's how they've, they'll get around it, or at least how they're going to try and get around it in exclusion zones. They will bring it in, but say, no, it actually, people on the other side as well, also can't uh, come out here and try and persuade people to get an abortion. I haven't heard of a whole lot of that happening now, to be honest. No, no. It's it's sort of if if you have two sides, both of whom behave in different ways, and you take the behaviour of one and say, well, don't worry, if they do this as well, it'll be illegal. And you sort of go, well, they don't do this, though, do they? They do other things, which you're not making illegal. Well, anyway, yeah, McFerry and uh, so Malcolm, even... Uh, a, a good run. Malcolm said a good run of proposals these days. Malcolm is proposing that the first idea, I think originally, was not specifically DPs, 
but rather it was going to be protests outside residences, wasn't it? The idea being that you couldn't just turn up at a politician's house, a private home, and protest them. Yes, and now they've decided that, well, as the political winds have changed, they will change with them. And if it works outside a home, well, I suppose we can just extend it to anywhere people are staying. I'm not, I'm not completely unsympathetic to the idea that there is something deeply unpleasant and nasty about turning up outside somebody's private house and having 50 people out on the path outside protesting, making, singing songs and chanting chants and banging drums and whatever, because I think that's pretty uncivilised, pretty nasty behaviour. I suppose the question is, it's bad behaviour, it's low behaviour, but is it behaviour that in a democracy you want to make illegal? And are there not already instruments available to either the, the householder or to the guardie to regulate and to make more acceptable some this kind of protest? I don't know about the, the residential thing. I, I genuinely don't know how to feel about that. But do you have a, fee, a strong feeling? On the residential, I mean, it's not to be honest, it's not something I've thought about very much. I don't really have any strong view on it immediately. On the idea more generally of expanding it, I'm not really one for protests. I just don't like being near massive amounts of people. And I find protests kind of unpleasant and noisy. And I think... Once you accept the principle that you can ban protests in certain areas only for certain political viewpoints, as long as you have a good reason, where the good reason is something like people will feel unsafe, you will always be able to find a reason to stop any protest you want. Even exceptionally well-mannered protests might have a couple of boisterous people at them, overly loud, moderately aggressive people. And you just use, even if you don't, well, Michael, who's to say if someone says they're unsafe that they don't actually feel unsafe? And so you'll find a reason. I think what's really more concerning about this is at the moment, on the face of it, it feels like, it looks like they are specifically targeting particular political positions, particular viewpoints to be controlled and to be made illegal. And it's not actually the actions involved, it's not the behaviour which historically is how we have used to decide whether something was criminal. It would be a criminal. This is not the that we are criminalizing or we are making illegal or controlling, but rather it is the content of the belief of the people doing the act. And that's what is rather more uncomfortable. Yeah, I mean, I've got to applaud John McGurk's sense of timing here. And timing, as they say, Michael, is the most important thing. He had written an article saying that the government, because they could not control the protests about immigration would crack down on the protests against immigration and they would go back on the legislature and the media to support them. And I'd say he yeah. got that up 20 minutes before that Fianna Fáil press release came in. <laughs> I think I think this legislation is dangerous. Um, and I'm totally unsurprised to see someone who is considered to be a prominent, respectable type come out and call for it to be extended to another type of protest. Because that was what was obviously going to happen. We've accepted the principle. Now it's just a question of can you find a reason? And there will always be a reason. So I expect we'll see more of this. Um, I read, I would say, over the weekend, no less than six pieces in mainstream Irish newspapers about how these protests outside direct provision centres are due to the far right, organised by the far right. A uh, lot of accusations of racism. A lot of accusations of all sorts. And running through it, the constant usage 
and weaponization of the appearance of people like the National Party. And we, we've gone through this before, Michael, and we saw this over the lockdown period. Every protest has a wide range of people at it. And there are certain types of people who will always go to certain types of protests. It is a political and editorial choice to look at that small segment of the protest and then say that they are the protest. So the National Party becomes the organisers of the protest, becomes the main focus of the protest in certain media reports, when from what I've heard, they have had exceptionally small amounts of people at these, and they've largely been rejected by the local people. But it's a very effective way to smear people. Absolutely. I mean, you and I both have the experience of trying to organise or to get people interested in organising for new political movements or whatever and the fact is on if you have any kind of political or issue-based meeting anywhere in ireland which is not being organized by a as one of the established heritage parties you will have a certain number of people going to that that are the people you actually want to engage with but you will attract every single other bit on every you will have the extremes from left to right from up to down from authoritarian to libertarian from uh phalangist conservative all the way to Maoists, everything everybody will turn up. And if you decide because you have political acts to grind in the media or in politics, to take the voices of two of those two or three of those people, report on them and regard and portray them as in some sense both representative of the group of people that were at the meeting, but more than that, representative of the kinds of people that you wanted there that you were organizing for. Well, then that obviously it's a, it's a dishonest choice, but it's a choice being made in order to make your point. But the other thing is, since we had this last conversation about this before, I went back and I talked to, I kind of made a point of going around to talk to a few people who would have been either at these meetings or new people, and, and then people within Ripton. And the, 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 the response that I'm getting, that I'm being told is that people are, on the ground who are organising and involved in organising these protests, which seem to be, to some degree, genuinely spontaneous eruptions. They're eruptions of local, a local thing where people have reacted in, in, and, shall we say, organised in, in, a, in a pretty spontaneous fashion. They know who the characters are involved in certain political groups and they're aware of them and they have told them to F the F off pretty well generally when they have turned up and tried maybe to insert themselves into these uh, protests. They, Gary, is there not a very, very strong bang of classist, uh, of a classist element to this reporting? That these people that they're talking about are inner city working class people, that they are fundamental, they are, and if they're behaving like this, it must be because they are actually just simply being used as cat's paws by these far sinister far right types. They don't understand it. They don't know it. But they're being manipulated. They lack the political education and sophistication to understand what's happening to them. There is a level, patron, a tone of patronising, condescension to the analysis of this, which is absolutely labour labour party quality and like upper middle class Dublin. The same people, if, by the way, they were involved in protests which were being supported by the Irish left and far left, would be regarded as being proof that 
the authentic voice of the proletariat of Ireland was finally being heard and they were rising up against the embedded forces of the, the bourgeois privilege. But in this case, because they're on the wrong side of history, whichever way history is going these days, they have become the manipulated cat's paw tools of the sinister far right. And do you know what else? You and I have met some of these people from the far right, and I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, but these people are not Machiavelli. They are not capable, in my opinion, of some kind of deep, brilliant plan where they can get people together and drive them towards a particular destination. They're just not up to it. And the people that are doing these, that are involved in these organisations, these protests that are, are perfectly capable of recognising what's in front of them and politely or impolitely inviting them to make themselves absent, which is what I am told is what has actually happened. Yes. What's also been interesting is that some of these people and some of these groups have deliberately presented themselves to members of the media as if they are playing a far more integral part in these protests than they actually are. Things like uh, making up flyers and the like so it looks like you are organising an event that was already happening without you. And you run into into an issue here where there are certain people in the media who have very particular ideas about the far right and have made it kind of a core part of their brand that they talk a particular way about the far right and they have an interest in their therefore being a far right combined with people who are not involved but have an interest in being seen as being organising these events and so everyone is kind of very happy with that apart from the residents who I understand are not terribly happy because from what I've seen on the ground, most of them are shinners, which is hardly unsurprising because of the areas it's happening in. Um, I mean, we had Fatima Gunning go to uh, go to an area in Eastwall there and do a video interview with multiple, multiple residents. Uh, and we talked to a number of residents as well off camera. This was not a cherry-picked selection of residents that we provided. And <clears throat> I'm told, and from what I've seen of the, the raw footage, the concerns they had were all... Uh, eminently reasonable. In the case of the the Lighthouse Apartments in Eastwall, they opened the direct provision centre 20 metres away from them with windows looking directly into them and which shares a common area. And the residents were saying things like, well, now we've got a load of people just hanging around the common area. There are guards up there at all sorts of hours. There's video of just random pools of blood. And frankly, we don't like our children having to walk through that to go to school because we feel it's unsafe. And then there were a load of complaints about property prices and the fact that their apartments were now basically unsellable. <laughs> there's nothing There's nothing like an attack on property prices to get the people out. Yeah, I mean, we had people saying things like, oh, you know, relative is unwell and I wanted to move to be closer to them so I could look after them. Uh, usually you know, a mother or father or something like that. Uh, but now I can't sell my house. So, or my, I can't sell my apartment, so I can't do that. So, you know, that family member is left on their own. The kind of practical, small things that we don't tend to talk about when talking about large policies like immigration. But those are sorts of their concerns. And then, of course, they also had concerns for the people in the direct provision centre, which the standards don't appear to be great in a lot of them. Perfectly reasonable sort of things. Also quite amusing actually is when you um, when you talk to residents in these areas, a number of them are foreign nationals and are also very against what's happening. So they're taking the claims of being racist kind of in their stride. Though I, I don't know if you, there was a piece by Ali Bracken in The Independent. Uh, and just as a quick aside here, 
journalists, despite their political views, there are lots of journalists who are actually quite good people. Sometimes not very good at their jobs, but good people. Ali Bracken is the only journalist in this country I have never heard a kind word said about by anyone. She is deemed to be immensely unpleasant. So she she does this piece where she goes down and she's talking to someone and um, who is black and is protesting. And she quotes him as saying to her, yes, I am black. Well done you for noticing. <laughs> but not, not the conversation that got to that point. And I'm kind of just amazed she left that in. I, I suppose moving on from that, Michael, it's something that is uh, still very related. Drew Harris. Drew Harris, to, Drew Harris has found something sinister, Michael. Years and years ago, a Minister for Justice stood up in the doll and gave out information which had to have come via the Guardi about a person who was involved, I think had been involved in the subversive of organisations, but was now involved in politics at the time. And nobody particularly cared about it. It was a bit of brouhaha on his own side. And I was absolutely horrified. I thought it was a resignation issue. But I could find nobody for a week and a half that thought that it was a big deal at all. I'm bringing that up because when I read this, when I saw this story, it was, I was horrified. I'm, am I missing something here, Gary? He's talking about the number of far-right individuals who are using protests against refugees and asylum seekers to pursue their own, quote, sinister agendas. Gary, they are, these people are being kept under observation. Unless you believe a citizen has been engaged in criminal activities or have, and you have reason to believe, or have good reason to believe that they are planning or plotting or conspiring to do something like that, what business have the guards got? What, looking at anybody, and the politics that those people have or pursue or espouse have absolute, are none of the, the business of the police at all. We find this really disturbing. I'm asking you genuinely, when you read this story, am I missing something here? I mean, are these, are, have there been a slew of crimes or conspiracies or crimes which have been thwarted by the guards being plotted by far-right groups in Ireland? I mean, what's going on here? Why is this not a big story, I suppose, is what I'm asking in a way. Why, why are there not queues of people out there on the civil liberties uh, community demanding at the very least an apology and an explanation, if not the actual, the resignation of the the commissioner. I did reach out to the ICCL there over the weekend uh, in relation to the call for exclusion zones to be extended to um, outside direct provision centres. Haven't heard back from them, Michael. Doubt I will hear back from them. But as a general point, I would say if uh, you're counting on the ICCL to defend your civil liberties, you're probably fucked already. If not the ICCL, I mean, let's face it, they have got the, the the shitty end of the stick from this from this podcast more than more than once. But anybody who is supposed to be interested in civil liberties in the country, and that's supposed to be people mostly on the progressive side of politics. What the hell has it got to do with the guards? What people's politics is if they're not actually engaged in criminal activity? Well, the guards have been increasingly interested in the idea of non-criminal activity that's still worth their attention. You know, non-criminal hate crime instances. This is this is the same man who talks about the re- encouraging people to report on non-criminal hate. What non-criminal hate incidents is it? 
Doesn't, doesn't God so rich in free time? Is there so little crime, so little activity in, in the rest of their business that they can take their time out to be involved in things which are explicitly stated to be non-criminal? I am baffled by this. I'm concerned. What the hell is going on? Well, they do. He did say that you know, we'll wait and see what happens. And if there is a breach of the criminal law, then they will, of course, act. And before then, they'll just watch you voyeuristically. Is they watching you, Gary? Is it, have you expressed views? I mean, I suspect there are more than two or three people out there who would think that uh, Gary Gavner has views which are far right, or at least far right adjacent. Who knows what you get up to in your in your free time? I don't. Know. Are you pursuing some kind of? Are you pursuing a sinister agenda, Gary? The sinister agenda of getting elected? You know, I don't know what the hell is going on here. Did you see Professor Jared Casey's response to this? I didn't. No. It is the most Professor Jared Casey response possible. Oh yeah. It's as a pedant, I can't resist noting that since sinister is the Latin for left. The inquiries the commissioner refers to would be into the confused far right who are bizarrely pursuing left agendas. <laughs> Knowing Jared is just that's that's peak Jared. That's peak Jared, all right. Oh, yes, certainly. I don't. Um, I would have said in other circumstances that it would be an opportune, at the very least, for the minister for justice to go and have a, little, a quiet word in the guard commissioner's shell, like. But since at the moment Nell Magatee is on a uh, sabbatical. And the it, it's um, Harris, isn't it? Yes. Well, Harris uh, at the same event described the um, described the people involved as being a small, sinister, far right element. So he's on the sinister train himself. Uh, but to be honest, Michael, no, I wasn't shocked, um, nor did I really think anything of it, for the general reason that I expect so little that I just well, maybe we should expect more. Yeah, but you're not going to get more, Michael. And as you know, as Buddha said, expectation is the root of suffering. Well, he may have said desire is the root of suffering, but I think I've improved it slightly. Oh, well, it's good to know that the Buddha's getting improved on. I think he's deeply problematic. I don't know. I, 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 I think that's a shocking thing for a policeman to say. But it's to go back to the old story that we spend far too much time talking about. What I find more shocking is the fact that nobody else in the media seems to be particularly shocked by it. So the, the dogs the, are not barking. The custodians are not barking. I mean, the custodians are barking. They're barking at the far right. Yeah, I mean, God almighty, if there isn't a better example of somewhere where the supply simply cannot meet the demand, is there a better example than the Irish far right? The demand for it is massive. The supply is really pathetic. But, Gary... But I am firmly of the opinion that everything that is being done by official Ireland at governmental and non-governmental level is being done in order to create a far right in this country. Anyway, Gary, I think we might draw this to the close because I am about to draw to a close myself. And hopefully we should be back in normal time next weekend and not in our delayed fashion that we have because of my my body's weaknesses this weekend until then i wish you all a good week is is that we'll be back if a listener doesn't reach out to find you opiates or we won't be back if a listener reaches out to get you opiates gary i'm too mean to buy them that's the truth of us even if there are out there there you go 
But until then, opiate-free will be back next weekend. Please, God. All the best.